Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about um, why helpers tend to focus on victims and how perpetrators kind of slide under the radar. But before we do that, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, every week I come on here and give a quick plug for PeaceWorks University, but really it's because I believe if you are benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, if you are tuning in week after week, if you're subscribed and listening to the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your next best step. I really think you're going to benefit from the material uh, that we have planned over at PeaceWorks University. Uh, unlike the podcast, the, um, the membership is completely organized. So the material that you hear on the PeaceWorks podcast, we have similar but more uh, lengthy and robust material at PeaceWorks University, but organized and placed in categories and made user-friendly. So if you are benefiting from the PeaceWorks podcast, then I really think PeaceWorks University is your best next step. All right, let's jump into today's topic today. Uh, we have received some questions about people helpers, and uh, I, I don't have a specific group, and so it wasn't specific to counselors or pastors or ministry leaders or so on. But I actually think, as I was reading through the question, it applies to a lot of folks in the Christian world, and I would even say in the secular world, when you consider just how mismanaged and misunderstood the problem of domestic abuse is. So let's take a look at the question. The, the questioner is asking, why do people helpers focus or are more ready to criticize victims and hold them accountable than they are to do the same with perpetrators. Why do helpers seem ready to confront victims and hold them accountable, but not so perpetrators? And I think there's a lot of reasons to that. And some might be listening in and say, well, that's that's quite an assumption. But I think it's, it is um, an, assumption, an assumption based on experience. I think most survivors and even helpers in this work would say that our experience would tell us that most people helpers, most attempts by victims of domestic abuse to find help are met with resistance. And that resistance includes a tendency to critique or criticize or blame the victim, while at the same time, a tendency to support and collude with the abusive partner. So why is that? Well, there's all kinds of reasons why that could be. And, and it, I think it would be unfair to say, well, every helper is motivated by this or that, or every helper falls in this category. So let me just attempt in this podcast to throw out just a few of the reasons uh, why that tends to be the case. And I think the, the one reason, I shouldn't say first, these are in no particular order, but I think one reason may be usually the victims are the ones available. So just consider it this way. A, a victim has the courage to make a disclosure. Uh, and this may happen in a counseling session or to a close friend or to a pastor. 
and the victim makes themselves available to the counsel and the help of this person. Now, early on in the process, early on in the process, the, the victim in this case trusts the individual or is placing at least some level of trust in the individual. And they are hoping that this helper, right, will step into the gap and provide help, as it were, and really uh, serve their needs well. But often what happens is the victim becomes available to the counsel and recommendations of the helper, and the helper is not necessarily trained in abuse or understands the dynamics of abuse, and so they revert to what they know, and that is to address the person that they're with. And so sometimes it's a matter of the victim is available and present, and so the helper begins to pour into the person that they can affect change on. And unfortunately, rather than addressing the real problem, the harm that they're experiencing, right, they begin to address um, the individual in front of them. So I think sometimes that's the case. It, it is, there's a person in front of me, I'm trying to help them, and I don't know how to help them with this outside problem, right, with this other person and or their abuse situation. So I will turn the tables and try to help them with their anger or with their responses or with their bitterness, you know, we could put that in air quotes, right? Some of those key issues that people tend to turn the tables on rather than listening and sitting with a victim to learn their story and then surprisingly, amazingly, ask them, how can I best help you? How can I serve you next? Rather than jumping into, um, into familiar territory which is what I'm alluding to. When you've got a person in front of you, uh, you tend to counsel with what you're familiar with. And so sometimes that will uh, be personal care and confrontation. Sometimes that'll be marriage counseling and so on. You know, another reason I think helpers um, critique and address victims and throw accountability their way rather than doing the end round to the perpetrator I think victims tend to be, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, I'm just thinking out loud as to why this may happen. Um, victims tend to be more emotional, meaning they are um, often traumatized. They're coming in with a, a level of distrust, fear, uh, a lot of pressure, whereas the abuser doesn't feel any pressure. They're the ones in control. So victims uh, underneath this weight of pressure and fear and suspicion and uh, doubt as to whether or not you can be trusted uh, have a difficult time coming in without an emotional response, which is fine. Under no normal circumstances, it's fine. But what happens with helpers, they tend to become uncomfortable with emotional people. And so oddly enough, someone comes in and their emotions are not regulated the way I think they should be as a helper, then, then maybe my temptation is to focus on reducing, eliminating, or recalibrating their emotional response rather than, again, listening, sitting, and trying to understand the circumstances and the situation. And so helpers, in particular men, if I can just throw us under the bus for a minute, I think men in particular, generally speaking, not all men, but I think men in particular, generally speaking, have a very difficult time sitting and listening with a woman in particular 
who is emotional, in particular an individual who's angry. Men just don't really know how to interact with women's anger. Um, that's a cultural thing, I think. It is interesting being in this work, quick sidebar, being in this work as long as I have been. It's interesting to me that the men that I work with seemingly are, are only allowed to be angry. It's, it's like they have been socialized to the point that the only emotion I'm allowed to show is anger. So when I'm sad, I'm angry. When I'm flustered, I'm angry. When I'm disappointed, I'm angry because I can't I can't be sad. I, I certainly can't cry. I can't be weak. That's an unfortunate reality in the culture that we live. And the converse seems to be true, that women are expected to be um, uh, sad or uh, expected to cry or expected to have certain emotional responses, except for anger. You can't be angry because a woman who is angry then is somehow inappropriate, Right somehow masculine. And I just think that's an unfortunate, um, sad reality in our culture today, that men and women have to regulate their emotions because of what the culture has to say, rather than maybe the helper or people trying to step into their reality, set in that emotional discomfort. Now, imagine this for just a second. If you're a helper and your first inclination is to escape the discomfort of a victim's emotional state, then I would say you probably are not prepared to interact with victims of abuse. Because just reflect on it this way, perhaps. Your discomfort in that moment still pales in comparison, pales in comparison to the emotional discomfort that they're experiencing through the abuse. So being willing to set in your own discomfort and selflessly listen and attempt to understand will in a very small way, a very, very small way, give you a taste to at least a degree of what they may be experiencing on a daily basis when you consider the weight and significance of emotional abuse. So there's a couple things. One, victims are usually available, and that availability presents itself to the helper trying to help uh, and often focusing on the wrong target, the wrong issue. Uh, victims tend to be emotional, rightfully so. Also, um, trauma affects the way in which we communicate, and so they victims can be difficult cases to manage. Uh, I'm not saying that, that a victim is a case. I mean, cases involving victims can be difficult to manage. And so helpers maybe flee from discomfort rather than embracing the suffering as a, as a means of help. Uh, third, abusers can throw a lot of shade. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, abusers remain in control. And so if you're doing especially a church-based intervention, abusers have already begun the process of attempting to collude with the pastor, the helper themselves, uh, significant leaders in the church, um, and may even be leveraging their own influence right, to um persuade the helper or perhaps um, influence the helper from doing a good job. And, and we really have to be tougher than that, guys. I mean, let's face it, church, if, if we could really just have an honest conversation about the significance of that type of influence, that the abuser will often attempt to um, influence the counseling and care process, if we allow him to do that, if we allow him to continue to influence the process, 
through um, even subtle means of coercion, we're really undermining the help that we're attempting to give, and we're actually crippling him. The, the last thing he needs is control in this setting. He, he needs to be submissive and allow someone else to be in control for a while. And if he continues to clamor for control by setting timelines, setting dates, setting details, rearranging the counseling and care, uh, rearranging the counselors, right, then I think we're doing him a big disservice. And this happens all the time, all the time. And I would say this is contributes as much to the criticism, critique, and accountability towards the victim is that the abuser tends to be dissatisfied with the counseling and care throughout the process. Rightfully so, if the process is done well. I often tell the people that I train, if everybody likes you, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, at some point, someone should be pretty upset with you. And and if it's the abusive individual, then then probably double down. You're probably headed in a good direction. But they will attempt to undermine and restructure, right? Well, this counselor isn't really working out for us. Can we try this one? The, the longer we allow the abusive partner to have control over the counseling and care process, the, the more we are extending and the abuse and re-victimizing the victim. We as people helpers need to have some semblance of control over the counseling process. And even if threats or ultimatums are given, especially when threats or ultimatums are given, which happen all the time in this work, we need to be firm and resolute in our convictions as helpers. This is what I've been asked to do. I will follow through with what I've been asked to do. And no, I will not restructure because you're uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable is part of this process. And that's a conversation I've had quite often when an abusive individual is uncomfortable with the process, it's nothing for me to say. Do you think I'm comfortable? I've been uncomfortable this entire process too. I mean, I'm not comfortable talking about these things. I'm not comfortable having you try to undermine this. Like all of us are uncomfortable. The discomfort's where we're going to change. And so let's not run from, uh, let's not run from a means of change. Let's embrace it, right? Let's sit in it. Let's be uncomfortable together. And there's a lot of other reasons why I think helpers, um, I fail in this area, to be quite honest, and focus their attention on victims and kind of let perpetrators slide under the radar. Uh, But really, we have to address fear. Fear is a big part of it. Now, I'm not excusing this, especially among leaders. I think if you're talking about fear as a motivator, the helpers that really are affected most by fear, I think, are leaders, pastors, denominational leaders, uh, ministry leaders, individuals that seemingly have a lot to lose um, and tend to find themselves fearful. Now, they may not admit it, right? They may not come out and say, well, I was afraid I was going to lose everything or I was afraid I was going to be in the Wall Street Journal or I was afraid, you know, I was going to see the church split over this. But that is a motivator. And I got to tell you, if you're a pastor God bless you. If you're if you're a pastor in a church, and let's just say this. I've never pastored a big church, okay? But let's say if you're a pastor of a big church and you got a few thousand people or more, you know, palling into that building every week and, and you're responsible for their souls and you're attempting to shepherd them well, God bless you. But if I may, if you find yourself tempted to ignore a case of abuse, out of fear that you may lose your job, 
Can I just encourage you? Jesus cares far more about your integrity than he does your job. And there are plenty of ways in this world to make money, plenty of ways in this world to support your family. And uh, brother, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and say it. If you stand with victims of domestic abuse and it costs you your job, then brother, I would rather buy a television from you at Best Buy, or I would rather um, see you working at the National Tire and Battery for the glory of God than continuing to remain in a place where your integrity has been compromised because of fear. We don't have to live in fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. We need to do the right thing. And so if if fear is motivating you today and you find yourself in an abuse case, can I just encourage you, man, side with the vulnerable, address the abuse, address it head on, get some help. Um, and God will be pleased with that. And if by some, uh, if for some reason you do find yourself uh, without that church, that's fine. Your identity is not in that church. Your identity is in Christ. Okay. So, uh, just a word of encouragement and back to the scheduled programming, right? So sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid of losing. We're afraid of loss. Uh, I think we're afraid of the abuser sometimes. He he tends to throw his weight around. Um, I've been, I've, I've experienced a lot of passive aggressive behavior. I've spent a, a lot of threats <laughs> over the years. I've had a case of stalking for a little while, but honestly, um, nothing that would motivate me to change my mind, but I can tell you, it does affect you. It does affect you. And so if you're trying to pastor or counsel or work with an individual who's being hurt, don't be surprised if that person hurting them, that abuser comes after you as well. And so there's fear of loss. There's fear of the abuser. I think there's a fear of the system that comes into play here, um, especially in these larger systems. You hear about it all the time. Well, you know, if we expose this, then it's going to ruin the church or ruin the ministry or ruin this or ruin, you know, this or that. And if I may say again, uh, we could use a little bit more ruin for the glory of God. If I could come back to that point again, how I wish um, ministries would have been exposed earlier, you know, and we know that as well today as maybe we've ever known in the history of the church, when you consider what we know now with the internet and what we know now with the sexual abuse and domestic abuse and uh, spiritual abuse cases that are happening in our world today, um, we should know that we need to expose this stuff early and effectively rather than kicking the can down the road. And we can't be afraid of the system anymore. You know, the, the other thing I think falls in this category, guys, is pastors in particular, and I keep coming back to them because it's kind of the helper in my mind right now, but sometimes pastors are afraid of women. And, um, you know, I I don't know how else to say it other than to say I think sometimes helpers are afraid of women. And so if a woman is disclosing and, and we're trying to manage that, uh, I think we, we are tempted to dismiss women or control women. And both of those are inappropriate and sinful, to be quite honest. But how many times have you heard of church leadership or helpers stepping into a case where their discomfort, I should say, their fear of theological compromise, of 
not being complementarian or some other um, some other issue has uh, ended with secrecy, with collusion, with hiding the truth, with dismissing um, sisters out of hand, and uh, supporting men just based on gender. Now I don't know how often that happens, but it just it seems to be happening too often. I guess one instance is too much, right? So you you kind of get this indication that in some circles, we're just afraid of women. And uh, I think that's got to change. Obviously, it's got to change. When you consider the dynamics of abuse, we need to be supporting each other. We need to be uh, following, you know, the scriptures. I think about 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It's one of my favorite little passages. You know, admonish the unruly, encourage the, the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And so having a counseling and care and confrontation model that cares for the vulnerable, that encourages those that are down, that is patient throughout the process, but also admonishes and warns those that are unruly and idle, I think will will include everyone in the body, including women. And so being afraid of women, I think, is something that really, guys, we have to put off. So I don't know if I've effectively answered the question today. I have rambled quite a bit around it, but the question came in, why why do helpers seem to dismiss victims, hold victims accountable, and let perpetrators off the hook? Well, I think there's all kinds of motivations, whether it be the victims available, they're right there in front of us. Um, Maybe we are uncomfortable with the victim's emotions, and so we try to address that rather than the real problem. Maybe the abusers are colluding or throwing shade or um, making trouble within the community. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of the abuser themselves or the ramifications of addressing this problem at all or fear of the system or fear of women. Uh, Whatever uh, the issue is, I think the answer is that we continue to build awareness and education in the realm of abuse. Does the Bible have things to say about abuse, and in particular domestic abuse? I believe so. Does the Bible have anything to say uh, to us about um, our responses? I believe so. And does the Bible instruct us and help us understand how to interact with each other? I believe so. And when it comes to the most vulnerable among us, when it comes to those who are practicing wickedness among us, uh, we should uh, toe the line, as it were. We should hold individuals accountable who are causing the harm, and we should help those that are experiencing the harm. Well, folks, we will attempt again to um, answer some more questions and to add some more clarity to this work. I appreciate everybody so much that tunes into the PeaceWorks podcast. If you're listening on one of the major platforms today, would you write us a review? Would you subscribe? Would you write us? Would you let folks know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast? Again, I appreciate all of you and so thankful for that you take the time to interact with us on a weekly basis. So until next time, folks, God bless.